Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Off The Beaten Track Podcast. Hope you're doing well. My name's Hubie Finn. I'm your host. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. And I have got a lovely episode for you today. I've got a nice chat with Ben Watt. Benoit of Everything But The Girl, of Buzzyfly Records, of a whole body of work which we are going to be talking about over the next hour. Before we get on with the episode, I just want to say uh, thank you to everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you to 76, who produces this podcast. Um, If you enjoy this, please um, have a look in the back catalogue if this is your first listen, because you'll find uh, a huge amount of pod chats with other musicians, actors, producers, artists, etc. Um, and if that's not enough, I also do uh, another episode each week over on Patreon, so you can support the podcast over there as well if you wish to. Other than that, if you're still searching for more podcasts to listen to, um, I own a magazine with Scroobius Pip and Adam Richardson called The Pod Bible. Uh, Pod Bible is a regular magazine which gives you an insight into everything that's happening in the world of podcasts. Um, and we have a podcast to accompany that as well, where Pip, I and Adam sit down with all your favourite podcasters and talk about their podcasts and the ones that they like listening to. You can find out all about that stuff at Pod Bible Mag. Dot com, uh, And in regards to everything to do with today's podcast, why not head over to offthebeatentrackpodcast.com. Uh, as well as that, we're on all the social media platforms, so please give us uh, a follow, a like, love, share, retweet, and, and whatever you hipster kids do. Let's get back to the job at hand, which is introducing today's wonderful guest. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast with Ben Watt. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year. And they're based in South End on Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music. And they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable, and water based inks. In addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. 
and they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So go and check them out because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beat and Track podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me stew with him. Okay, we're recording. We are in... Uh, we're in sunny Hipsterville today, uh, in East London, and uh, and sitting opposite me today is Ben Watt. Hello, you're right. Yeah, very good actually. Thank you for having me. So yeah, it's a it's an absolute pleasure. It was um it was a real cold call. I just sent a I sent an email in and and, and got a buy it. So yeah, it was, there you um, go. It was it, the, it, it was does work it. sometimes. And uh, so yeah, listeners bombard Ben with emails now and, uh, via the website. Um, thanks ever so much, Jim. I should say that um. We've never met before. Very true. And uh, and you've sent over uh, some wonderful records. Good. Well, let's talk about them. Okay. For track one. Yeah. Someone the greatest ever intro. Yeah. Well, I, I you know there's so many you could choose, and there's so many sort of famous ones. You know, Rolling Stones, Gimme Shelter, and all that kind of stuff. But I tried to pick something that when I first heard it, it really meant something to me, and I chose Atmosphere by Joy Division. Um, because when I was a teenager, I was obsessed with Joy Division. Um, I'd grown up, you know, with jazz in the house because of my dad and lots of older brothers and sisters, uh, lots with lots of music taste of theirs from the 70s I was listening to. But I think Joy Division were one of the first bands that I kind of discovered on my own and really fell for in a big way. Um, and saw them a lot. I followed them around and I saw loads of their shows. Um... And then this record came out, and I always think it's an incredibly evocative beginning with the synth and the drum fills. And it always gets me when I hear it. I mean, to some people, um, it probably doesn't mean as much. It's not that long. I mean, Ian Curtis's voice comes in quite soon after. Yeah. But the few little fragments of music that you hear before it starts, I think, really do capture a mood that, yeah. that, um, that certainly speaks to me. And the, and the track is uh, atmosphere, right? Yeah, exactly. I didn't. Um, know, I think. I think I said that when I did first. You? Yeah, right at the oh, beginning. Sorry, yeah, sorry. I did. Yeah. Um, you mentioned that you saw Joy Division lots. Yeah. So, uh, unfortunately, I, I, I missed that boat. Um, was it as intense an affair as you, you kind of you led to believe when you watched the kind of footage and the? Yeah. The... No, it really was. It really did. I mean, I was only seventeen. Um, perfect age to, to yeah get into absolutely a band, I mean it, it, it captured all that kind of you know adolescent angst um, I think it was the first time I'd seen that kind of performance um, something that came out of kind of the Stooges and just uh, like a three-piece loud guitar trio with a singer um, 
that sort of skeletal and empty. Um, I remember seeing them play at Yulu in London and being mesmerized by the fact that a lot of the time just the, the guitar and the bass were just playing single line melodies like a string quartet would yeah. play, not playing chords. And then they'd get to the chorus and Barney Albrecht would go to the chords with the distortion pedal on. And it just, for someone who was very curious about how music was made from a very early age, I'd never seen this before or heard it. And I was really startled by it. So we will go through yeah. sort of formative years of music and stuff like that. But you just touched on something there, which I'm, I'm, I like to talk to guests about, which is when, when they were young and they were mm. hearing music for the first time, those that seem to have followed a path into, into either performing or producing or whatever, they did seem to sort of be dissecting the music and working out how these things were put together at a very young age. Was that the case for you then? Oh, definitely. I mean, I, I had, you know, quite an unusual upbringing in that I was the only child of my parents' second marriage. Um, and I lived with all my half-brothers and sisters in this flat in southwest London with my mum and dad. And my half-brothers and sisters were all nine, ten years older than me. So I was, in effect, a bit like an only child living with adults. And it was quite a small... We were all like on top of each other, but everybody had record players in their room. Everybody had music taste. And I can just remember jazz being played permanently in the sitting room by my dad. Uh, my oldest half-brother was into, like, Roy Harper. Um, my other brothers were into more middle-of-the-road stuff, like Simon and Garfunkel, James Taylor. Um, my sister was into Bowie and Lou Reed. and So all this stuff was just constantly on. in the, Well, it was just going on. Yeah. Every time you push open the bedroom door, yeah. this is playing, you know? And, you're, uh, and I was inquisitive and... You know, being the the child of a musician, I obviously had the genes that was kind of, yeah. you know, going to be curious. Um, and I was always asking questions and, and, and wanting to know how things things worked out. And my dad primarily was an arranger, big band arranger. Um, so he had a lot of sheet music lying around the house that he, would, he was arranging tunes for his big band or his orchestra. Um, and these would range from pop ballads to jazz standards and I very quickly realized by looking at the sheet music that, okay, there's only four component parts here. There's the lyric, there's the melody, there's the chords, which is like the harmonic part of the song, and then there's the rhythm arrangement that you choose for it. And I thought, well, that's true of everything. And suddenly everything clicked together for me. So whether it was Burt Bacharach, you know, or whether it was, you know, a James Taylor song, or whether it was Neil Young or something, it was all just the same component parts. Okay. Track two. Yeah. The first thing I remember hearing had an emotional impact on you, Ben. Yeah. Well, this is an odd one. I mean, we were just talking about my dad and his jazz that he played in the house. And I tried to pick something that I had a very, very early memory of that I was triggered by. And there was this Roland Kirk album that my dad played in the late 60s. So I reckon I must have only been about six or seven when I heard this. And there were two tracks on the front of this record. The album was called I Talk With The Spirits. Um, and the very first track is called Serenade. Is it Serenade to a Cuckoo? Serenade with a Cuckoo. Serenade to a Cuckoo. To a Cuckoo, yeah, of course. Um, and I vividly remember the cuckoo clock on the front of the song, which really appealed to me as a little boy. And then, but then I really remembered the riff that he plays afterwards on the flute. And it, I think it was the first song that I went to my dad and said, how do you play this? And I must have only been six or seven. And he took me to the piano 
and showed me the flute line on the piano. Ba ba do, ba da da do da da do 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 da do 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 da. And it was so simple, and I it was one of, I think the first thing I learned, and I just played that little line yeah. on the piano myself. So that clearly spoke to me in some way. It was you know my first sort of. I suppose my first curiosity showing itself. Yeah. So what was the emotion of being like wonderment well, and? Yeah, and just that there was a connection with my dad. Yeah. You know, and that his world that I was seeing going on in front of me, um, you know, I could relate to, and I think it brought me uh, closer to him in that sense. You know, he would often come in at two, three in the morning, um, late night from clubs. He'd bring jazz musicians home. They'd sit up listening to jazz and playing poker downstairs and you know some some sometimes he'd come up and fish me out of bed and would bring me downstairs and sit me down in the sitting room in front of music playing on the speakers was that true uh, yeah and then my mum would come in and go what the do you yeah, think you're course. doing you know this boy should be in bed and he goes I'm giving him an education what's the problem yeah. so there was plenty of that going on that's wonderful you know, yeah where was that where was home Southwest London, I grew up in Barnes, mm -hmm. um, on the edge of Barnes Common. So, yeah, it was a nice place to grow up. Okay. Well, let's talk about growing up for track three, which is a song that reminds you of your time at school, Ben. Yeah. So, for this, um, again, I went through lots of um, things that, that, that reminded me of my school days, and I ended up landing on You're this. You're welcome to throw honourable mentions in as well, Ben, if there's anything. Well, there. you know, everybody ends up you know, hearing sixth form music and, you know, there's always like, I just I can remember Springsteen and Led Zeppelin and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But again, I tried to land on something that spoke to me and what I've chosen is Joan Armour Trading's Love and Affection. And I was in uh, one of my first bands I was in at school. Um, it was one of those classic scenarios where everybody had different music tastes, but you still formed a band. Yeah. Um, and the drummer was into the jam and Paul Weller and kind of mod stuff. The lead singer was into Gary Newman yeah. and Tubeway Army. I was into my Joy Division and a bit of Talking Heads at that time. And the bass player was like super laid back, wasn't having any of that at all, and was just into like George Benson, really nice music. <laughs> That's a mashup, right? <laughs> yeah, like really laid back, smooth grooves, bit of soul, yeah. you know. And he also had a room at his house where we used to hang out in the evenings because he was the only one who had some space. And yeah. if you go to, like, t you know, parties on a weekend, we'd end up back at his house. And um, he would always put on, like, all this kind of smooth stuff and people would shout him down. Yeah. But secretly, I was thinking, this is really nice, yeah. you know. And that's where I heard Love and Affection right. by Joan Armour Trading. Now, admittedly, it was on the radio as well at that time because it was a big hit. Mm. But I think hearing it on hi-fi speakers, late night with your mates around, yeah. I just, I, I, I really grew to love that track. And again, it, it very much spoke to my upbringing, that mixture of singer-songwriting with jazz, yeah. you know, which is very much what the song is about. The production on it, the Glyn Johns production. It's a beautiful record. The way two it? songs are effectively stitched together, all that, you know, everyone knows the kind of story of how the song was written. And again, I could just, I can see myself as a teenager sitting in that room with everyone drinking a beer and chatting and stuff, but me with my ears wide open, listening to this record each time it came on going, how are they doing that? How is that 
made. How does she get that guitar sound? What's she doing? Is that played with the fingers or is that played with a plectrum? And I was thinking all those things. You're that obsessive with music. Well, like, yeah, of course. You're always interested in, in how, how it's made and how you get a particular sound. How, how was school, Ben? School was good. Um, you know, I'd, I have good memories. Um, I was quite sporty. Um, until I was about 15 or 16, um, when I then discovered girls and rock and roll and um, acting. I really wanted to go into um, into into the sort of theatre side. My mum had come up through, through that. Um, she'd been an actress when she was very young um, and then ended up as a feature writer talking to actors and film actors and mm -hmm. writing for magazines. So I was kind of fascinated by that side as well. I was going to ask what you wanted to be at school. And was, was that what you wanted to I do think, at that point? I think, well, uh, anyone who remembers me will remember that when I was asked, um, when I first went to my secondary school, uh, the teacher went round the class on the first day and he got everybody to say what it was they wanted to be when they grew up. And I went to a good school, you know, so there was a few in there going, oh, I want to be a doctor mm -hmm. and I want to be a lawyer. And it came round to me... And I said, I want to be a rock star or a marine biologist. Because <laughs> 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 at that time, I was obsessed with Jacques Cousteau. Do you remember Jacques right, Cousteau? Course, the yeah. undersea world of Jacques Cousteau. Yeah. And Jaws yeah. had been on and everything. And I'd read lots of books on sharks. And I could picture myself out on a boat, like, studying sharks. And if I couldn't do that, I'd be, a rock, I'd be in a rock band. Yeah. So, Brilliant. Um, but so. then when I got older, in my last couple of years, I got very into... Uh, drama and theatre performance particularly the directing side and I went up to university um, and that's what I studied and I was very I think if I hadn't met Tracy and gone into music I probably would have pr perhaps pursued theatre directing or film directing that's what really interested me Did you have involvement in, in music videos? I've done stuff um, some of the more recent stuff that we've done, um, a couple of the Tracy's videos, I've been involved, you know, helping out on the sort of on the other side of the camera yeah. rather than the sort of performing side. Um, but I haven't, I haven't really done a lot of that. Yeah. Um, you, you spoke about sort of acting and stuff at school, and and, and obviously by now I gathered you was already quite competent with. with music it sounds like you were mm. learning from a very young age was that encouraged at school sort of creativity i was not i was not interested in the way music was taught at school which was you know through classical learning mm -hmm. you know i tried to take up um i took up the piano initially i then played the flute for a while when i was about 14 or 15 um thinking that if i was going to play in the school orchestra I wanted to have an instrument that was very easy to take to school on the bus. Practical. <laughs> I didn't want to be the boy with the cello. Yeah, of course. Know? No one so wants I to thought be the him, flute though. was lightweight and, yeah. you know, it wasn't much effort, really. Yeah. And I got into that for a bit. I think I got up to, like, grade six or something on the flute. But the thing that really interested me was just jazz and rock and soul and, you know, combos performing, trios and quartets and... Um, we, as I said, we lived in Barnes, and Barnes is very famous for a jazz pub called the Bull's Head on the river there, which where my dad used to hang out all the time. And from a from a very young age, he took me down there at weekends. They had Sunday lunchtime sessions, 
and um, they had a jazz room at the back of the saloon bar, uh, pitch dark, you know, pictures of all the jazz greats on the walls in chalk drawings, Wonderful. little stools, smoke hanging in the air. And I was allowed to stand on the fire escape and peer in through the back door. And that's a really big memory for me. Yeah. Um, my dad was often just down in the, in the saloon bar chatting to his mates. Yeah. And I'd be at the door with the doorman, who was called Don, who sat on a stool and wore sandals and socks. Brilliant. And I just stood there. And I was really gripped by it. You know, yeah. these like, how, why was this happening? I kept asking myself. You know, it's the middle of the day and it's sunny outside. Yeah. And here's this dark room with men playing, you know, crazy kind of instrumental music. Um, what an incredible thing to be exposed to, though, at that age. Yeah. Um, it was normal to me because that's just of what course. I grew up with. But looking back, I can see how formative it was, yeah. you know. So, yeah. Okay. Track four. First song you bought from a record shop. Oh, uh, yeah. Now, this is um, probably, again, people will listen and they'll think, my God, that's quite advanced. But then, um, as I've said, I've you know, I did have this kind of upbringing of listening to music from an early age. And the first thing I heard on the radio that I wanted to spend my own money on um, was My Love by Wings. Um, and I was besotted with that record. I thought it was the most beautiful piece of music I'd ever heard. When was that come out? Um, so I think we're talking 1973, probably. Right, okay. So I'm like nine or ten at this point, just getting my pocket money, um, trying to find things to spend it on. And I can remember going into East Sheen, which is just down the road from Barnes on the way to Richmond, and going in and I could see myself buying it um, in the paper sleeve and bringing it home. And nowadays it's dismissed as one of his really sentimental ballads. It's not looked on as a McCartney classic. But I think it has been reassessed in recent years. Um, it's a beautiful arrangement. Um, the, the, or the orchestral string section was recorded at the same time as the band um, when it was recorded and I think they did something ridiculous like 15 or 20 takes of it until the orchestra literally turned around to McCartney and said we can't play any better than this you've yeah. got it and it's in the can um, and then it features this amazing um, Henry McCulloch guitar solo in the middle which I think is one of the best eight, eight bar guitar solos ever on a pop single um, and he famously um, was one of the first musicians to stand up to McCartney and say, what, normally what would happen is McCartney would write a part okay. that the musician would then play. Mm -hmm. He'd whistle the melody or something. And McCulloch was the first one to stand up and just go, I've actually got another idea for this. Can I, c can I try that? And I think some of the guys in the studio would go, you don't say that to Paul McCartney, yeah. mate. Um, and he... That's the story that I've I've heard well, he of the session, it. and he swallowed it and let him play, and that's what that solo came out pretty much improvised on the right. spot, and it's a it's a phenomenal, really beautiful bit of playing. So as you sort of started to, you know, get a little bit older, Ben, and and, and you know maybe had a little bit more money in your back pocket, mm. like how important did record shops become for you? They did. I mean, I I think. A lot of what happened in those days was a lot of sharing. I can remember borrowing records off mates because mm -hmm. it was still quite expensive. Yeah. The thought of, you know, shelling out on an LP mm. in those days was a big deal, you yeah. know, and they were expensive. So I can remember a lot of sharing. 
um, a lot of tape to taping, little mixtapes going around, um, people talking about music at school in the playground and, and, you know, in the canteen and all that kind of stuff. Dreaming of buying records a lot of the time, reading about records. But I didn't have a big record collection. Mm. Um, I remember talking to, to Tracy about this. She remembers very vividly sending off to the Rough Trade mail order for seven-inch singles. Wow. You know, because she lived just outside London in Hertfordshire yeah. and not being able to get to record shops. Yeah. And, you know, joining the singles club and or, or seeing the little adverts in the classifieds yeah. and, and, and choosing what she thought she might like and risking some money on stuff, yeah. you know. Oh, that's wonderful. Just that kind of blind trust in the label that you're going to get something of yeah, worth or a review it on the in the nme yeah. or something and you send off for it and hope you're going to love it and all yeah. that kind of stuff oh wonderful um can you remember can you remember the first time and what it felt like when you saw one of your records in a shop when i first saw one of my records in a shop i don't have that memory to hand i don't think I can remember being quite excited in the very early days when I was on Cherry Red and, uh, you know, the, the, the records came back from the manufacturers. Yeah. I can remember seeing it at the, at the record label. Yeah. I can remember being up at Cherry Red Records. They had an office in Bayswater. And I think seeing a copy of the Summer Into Winter EP, which was the first EP I did when I was 19, the one I recorded with Robert Wyatt, I remember seeing that and it was a 12 inch EP and it just seemed quite big and impressive. And I thought, yeah, you know, I've landed. Yeah. You know, it was good for you. That is big and impressive, Ben. Yeah. However you look at it, completely. Hello, I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. 
Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. Okay, so moving forwards, um, I want to ask you about the song that soundtracked your years in Clubland. Yeah. So this is a weird question for you, Ben, because you've been involved in, in... music for for a fair few years yeah and, and obviously with the label as well yeah you know, that that's you know took you right into djing are you classing that as your time in clubland or are you basing it when you was younger and when you was no it's definitely clubbing? no it was because i didn't i mean this is the interesting thing about my progression i didn't really get into clubbing at all okay. until my mid-30s i mean when the acid house explosion took off in the 80s in the UK you know I was in Everything But The Girl with Tracy we were four albums deep into our career yeah. we were writing grown up sophisticated pop music yeah. we were touring America you know I saw this thing kicking off and thinking this is new and exciting but I think it would have been a bit disingenuous of us to chuck everything out and suddenly pretend that we were like the same as Joe Smooth Promised Land. Yeah, you know? of, course, of course. But there were records from that time that I do remember hearing and just thinking, these are amazing. Like Turntable Orchestra, You're Gonna Miss Me, and all that, you know, uh, Phase Two, Reaching. I loved those records, thinking, this is another world. It's brilliant. It's not what me and Tracy are doing. I'm quite jealous of it, yeah. but I just let it do its thing, you know? Um, but then I didn't really get into clubbing. And, and DJing until sort of mid to late 90s. Um, I mean, everybody knows the story of how that, you know, that style of music started to, to get into our sound. Um, you know, Tracy did the uh, collaboration with Massive Attack um, in 1994, Protection. Uh, we started experimenting with breakbeats um, on Amplified Heart and working with John Coxon, who was basically an elect- elect- electronic-based producer. And then we famously gave Missing to Todd Terry, and it became a big global hit. Mm-hmm. Um, but that whole side of music started to interest me more and more. Um, why, why was that? I just think it sounded fresh, and I think we wanted to do something new. I mean, we had a reputation for changing the production sound on every record we made. Um, we were inquisitive and curious about you know what we could do next where we could take the take take the songs uh what musical environment we could sit tracy's voice in um and i think particularly in the mid 90s i mean a lot of people listening will will remember i had a very serious illness in 1992 and nearly died and was in hospital with a very uh, sort of critical autoimmune disease and i think when we came out of that and recovered i think we had a bit of a hell for leather kind of let's just change and yeah. do something fresh and not just stand still and be safe. Mm. So I think we embraced these changes wholeheartedly and I just got more and more interested in it. Um, and I think then when I heard drum and bass for the first time and deep house, I really heard something that, that connected with me in a very deep emotional way 
the drum and bass sounded like kind of futuristic bossa nova, which is the music I grew up with with my, say, with my dad. To, that kind yeah. of syncopated, you know, um, sort of bebop, um, Latin kind of feel. Um, and of course, the other thing about it is those musics, th th those kind of music, um, drum and bass, deep house, there's very little to them. There's a lot of space in the middle of them. And that space was perfect for Tracy's voice, Yeah, you know? And um, I just felt if I could get the atmosphere right, um, it would be, be a great vehicle for Tracy. And then, of course, after that, um, everything but the girl did Walking Wounded and Temperamental, and then we stopped. And I carried on and went into Clubland as a DJ and started the label. How was that? Um, well, it was great. It was, a, you know, I, I'd had a lot of years in the mainstream, um, you know, everything but the girl had got to a, a pretty big point at that stage. Tracy wanted to have kids. We were in our mid-30s. And I just thought, let's just dive underground for a bit and just do something different. Mm. And I started a um, a nightclub, uh, a club night in, in West London uh, with Jay Hannon uh, called Lazy Dog at the Notting Hill Arts Club, um, playing mostly Deep House on a Sunday, which... Everybody goes Sunday clubbing. Here we are in the heart of it, sitting yeah. off just off Old Street here. Yeah. But in those days, no one was really doing it. I think Metalheads had started it at the Blue Note. Yeah. Um, but the idea of doing Deep House yeah. on a Sunday was really quite new. Yeah. Um, and certainly I know things like Secret Sundays and um, the Stuart Geddes night and all that kind of stuff. That all came out of yeah. Lazy Dog. Um so that was fresh and exciting and it was me feeling I was, you know, trying something new and different. Um, and then I picked this track, um, which is uh, Kings of Tomorrow, finally. Um, I'm in a very famous track, I think, from that period. Mm -hmm. And the reason I picked it was Sandy Rivera, who produced this, the music for it, um, in Kings of Tomorrow. We were playing his early stuff at Lazy Dog. Um, before he wrote this song um, and then of course Julie McKnight came in and did the vocal for this track and it came out and I think me and Jay both heard it at Lazy Dog and thought this is going to be an absolutely huge record and we played it to death at Lazy Dog and then the Masters at Work remixes came in as I moved over to um, Neighbourhood which was the other club that I DJ'd at and the buzzing fly years and that track just seemed to follow me around and whenever i dropped it it always went off yeah um and even now i mean the bass line was ripped off on some big um pop hit that was out i heard it on the radio last year or something someone literally nicked the oh, really do 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 da do 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 um i can't remember the the, the singer's name female singer and I just thought, yeah, it's just, it's such a big riff. What did you want from clubbing then? I think I found a different way to connect with an audience. You know, having got very used to playing um, in venues where, you know, with everything but the girl, where it was all about the song and the listening experience, where you'd often play a ballad and there'd be like pin drop silence in the concert hall and you'd connect with an audience in that way. 
I suddenly found with uh, DJing that you could connect with an audience in a completely different way, in a, this kind of ritualistic, euphoric way. Yeah. And I found that really exciting, yeah. that you could still communicate with people, but just using different tools and a different conduit to get to them. And, I, you know, for someone who'd done music all their life to find something new in their 30s yeah. was exciting. And to use pre-recorded pieces of music, i.e. slabs of vinyl, yeah. one after the other in the right order, you know, it was it was a different way of, of creating music. It was a bit like someone who'd painted watercolours all their life and was suddenly shown collage yeah. or montage and thought, oh, I'm going to have a, a period when I'm going to yeah. try this, you know, so. Wonderful. For track six, Ben, I ask you to um, put forward a song from an artist from your home county. Yeah. I checked with you on this, didn't I? Because I yeah. thought you might have meant country in You're the not the email. first either. <laughs> County, and I thought, well, I live in London. I've always lived in London. Um, so I'll have to pick someone from London. And, I, I mean, there was so, so much choice. And I was going through, you know, obvious things like David Bowie and all this kind of thing. And then I thought, no, let me think of something again. that Because that, there was a sort of theme of some teenage choices in this. Um, let me think of something that was from an earlier period in my life and I ended up picking Freeze by Southern Freeze and um, I'm picturing your mate who was in the George Benson with my <laughs> guitar mate in that bedroom yeah <laughs> and another reason I picked this is because I found out later after I met Tracy um, that she had loved this track to bits as yeah. well and had danced to it as a teenager had pictured herself singing it um and I, I, I really like looking back and, and picturing us both in our years before we met, loving this track for, for, for its different things, They're you nice. know. And it, this is, it's such an economical disco track. What you do you know? mean by that? There's, just, it's, there's no histrionics to it. She sings the vocal dead straight, you know. There's no acrobatics. Um, it's just a very... I think a very beautiful kind of honest vocal and um, it's, I, I really, I just, yeah, I love it to bits. It's great. You still in London? Yes. Still, still enjoy being in London? North London now, not Southwest. Um, when Tracy and Tracy and I came down from university um, in the early eighties, we already had a record in the charts and um you know, we went straight to Camden, which is kind of where the music scene was at the time, and tried to find somewhere to live. Did some house sitting, I think, for Simon Booth, who was in Working Week and Weekend at the yeah. time. Um, I remember looking after his cat while he went off on tour, and we rummaged around trying to find a flat to rent. Um, ended up on the fringes of Camden and Belsize Park, um, and we've stayed up that way ever since, really. Still enjoy London. I do, yeah. I mean, there's you know things about it that drive me mad, like everybody. But yeah, of course. you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't miss it. Yeah. You know, for anything. So. Okay. Um, well, before we go on the last track, we should say that you you are about to leave London because you're going on tour. Yes. Um, to support the recent album. Yep. Um, let's talk about that. Sure. What do you want to know? I want to know why you made why you made another album, and I want to know where you're playing. Um. Well, Storm Damage, um, which has just come out, I suppose it's it's the third album I've made um, as 
in this kind of new return to singer-songwriting, if you like, when I when I um, hung up my DJ headphones, um, I realised I wanted to get back to to lyrics and playing with musicians in a room and writing songs. I'd missed it, I think. Had you not done it whilst DJing? No. I really immersed myself in Clubland. You know, I was running a label during the week mm-hmm. and then I was DJing at weekends or getting on a plane to fly somewhere to DJ. And it just got more and more invasive in was my life. Were you picking up a guitar or playing a piano or...? Not really, at all. all right. I was, you know... I was interested in making music with computers. I was remixing, you know, that side of production. I had a young family at home, which took up a lot of time as well. I didn't have time to pick up a guitar. And it, guitar just felt old-fashioned for a period of time, you know. I just, I wasn't interested. Yeah. But then I just started to miss it. I don't know how that feeling came, but it came back. And um, I realised I'd, I'd kind of, I'd said all I had to say, really. As a DJ, I felt I felt I was starting to repeat myself a bit, and I didn't want to do that. That's great if you're aware of that. Yeah. And you think, right, okay, I've done that. Yeah. That box is now ticked. Yeah, and I stopped the label on the literally on the day of its tenth birthday. I thought that would be yeah. a really clean line in the yeah. sand, and I think a lot of people were very surprised. You know, the club nights were still very busy, um, the records were still getting really well received. But I was a little bit on autopilot, I think, was the problem. And I didn't. I never want to have that feeling. Didn't feel tested? No, and I, I realised I wanted to reconnect somehow with that 19-year-old troubadour I'd always wanted to be. And he'd yeah. been quiet for a while, you know. So I ended up um, writing Hendra, which was the sort of comeback album, if you like, um, in 2014. And since then, I've, I did a second one in 2016, Fever Dream, and now this latest one is Storm Damage. And I suppose the difference in this one is that it's much more piano-based and less guitar-based. Um, I'd had a, a very difficult time writing this record. Um, I, I think I've mentioned it uh, publicly already that I went through a difficult time after my half-brother uh, died in, in 2016 and it hit me very hard when I was about to settle down and write this album and I got very stuck for a while um, I was quite angry um, and I, I went into a difficult place for a bit and, and was unable to write and I was angry as well about the political situation every time you flicked on the TV you know, the whole world seemed to be lurching to the right and this wave of populism and climate crisis. And I just felt quite powerless, both kind of personally and as a member of the general public. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I finally sat down to write and I started writing at the piano as opposed to on the guitar, a lot of these feelings came out um, and were the basis behind the songs on Storm Damage. And I was talking to somebody last night about this, about how a lot of the songs do begin from a position of powerlessness, but they're about how we get off that axis, how we make something of our lives, how, yes, there is despair, but there is also hope. And I hope that the album captures this. Um, And I recorded it as almost like a jazz trio, piano trio, um, but then some of the psychological mood of the record 
I wanted to capture with sound effects and synths and cut-ups. And I used lots of downloaded free audio from the internet and made this kind of cinematic soundscape for the album that the trio sits on top of. So I think the record's got quite a distinctive sound. Um, and we take it on tour starting in about a week's time. Um, and I'm really excited because it's the same trio that played on the album. And we're all multitasking with foot switches, setting off sound effects. And yeah. it's going to be a really, good, a really good, good little show, I think. Do you still enjoy touring? I love it. I love it. How different is it now touring now after having many years as a club DJ and then going back to potentially them rooms where you can hear a pin drop and they're hanging on your words again? Uh, it's, it's good. You know, I think I'm at that age where I can really appreciate it again now. Yeah. I don't need hands in the air yeah. and the room going off. I went through that period and came out the other end. Um, and now I like, I still like a communal experience, but I do like it at a slightly quieter, more intense yeah. level now. Um, I do like playing stand-up clubs, even with this kind of music sometimes. Um, if, if I'm in a town where, you know, there's only a couple of hundred people coming, um, I like the idea of pe people being able to stand with a, with a drink, yeah. shuffle around, yeah. maybe go to the bar quietly, come back, not being pinned in their seat always. Um, I always think that's quite a nice live experience as well. Definitely. As, yeah. as, a, as, a, as an audience member, I'd definitely yeah. agree with that. Yeah. Last track. You get to play DJ again and, uh, and pick a record uh, that people may not know and drop it on them. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, again, I thought, well, I, I need to come up with something that's going to surprise people. Um, so I ended up choosing Waves. Um, and I think the reason I chose this is that um, there's, there's a whole side to lyric delivery that I love, you know, the whole kind of side of rap, basically. Um, and there is the whole school of rapping that I have a lot of time for. And probably people aren't aware, very much influences my lyric writing sometimes, even though I still sing as a singer. Um, you know, I've, I've grown up loving people like Common, Most Deaf. More recently, I really like John Wayne. I think John Wayne's records are really good. Um, and I find a lot of inspiration in the rhythmic delivery, uh, where the rhymes are often placed in the line. Um, there's actually a song on my new album, Summer Ghosts, um, which was the first thing I wrote for this record. And it, it, it is a semi sort of spoken sung uh, lyric and the rhythm and the meter of the lyric very much comes out of my love of rap lyrics. Um, so I thought I would choose somebody contemporary who I think does it really well, and that's why I chose this track. Jerry Badass. Ben, thank you so much for doing this today. Yeah, it's been a total pleasure. Thank you very much. Best of luck with the album. Thank and, you very much. Uh, and best of luck with the tour. There you go. What a wonderful episode. Um, thanks so much to Ben for giving up his time ahead of his tour to, uh, to come and chat musical journeys um he was a, a a real joy to sit with um and felt 
felt very privileged to get some time with with someone whose music I've um, been a big fan of for a long, long time now. Um, I'm back next week with another episode. If you can't wait until then, as mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I have a Patreon page, so you can support the podcast there um, and get a standalone episode each week uh, over there as well. Um, That's all from me. I will see you next time. Thanks ever so much for listening, and thanks once more to Ben for doing this. Thank you. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah? Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's... Interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, um, there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes, so if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.